You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Mira. Eoch Tanuyap. Kwege Iwans Kwiensna. Hi, everybody. My name is Kwege Iwans. I'm a member of the Squamish Nation and the Yogalanis Clan of the Haida Nation. You're listening to Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. We live, work, play, and broadcast from the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. This episode is going to be about memoirs, and I have two amazing authors this episode. But before that, let's put on our theme song, Possibilities by Key, Sarah. The song you just heard is Possibilities by Key Sarah. Key Sarah is a mother-daughter duo from Ontario, and the daughter who is singing is on the autism spectrum. You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Alison Klein. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Alisonmira. This episode is about memoirs on disability. My first guest today is a Canadian author, Susan Moclear, whose book, Fractured, came out in 2023 about her experience of acquiring a disability and I'm currently reading it right now. I (laughs) took it out of the library. It is such a fascinating book. Thank you so much 
Susan, for being on my show. Thank you for having me, Alison. Off the bat, what inspired you to write this memoir and talk about such a traumatic experience? Um, I think that a couple of things. I had I had written before, I had written some fictional short stories, and it seemed to me that when I thought about my next writing project, it seemed to me this would have been about 15 to 18 years after my accident. My accident was in 1995, so it's about 30 years ago, and it was a car accident where I was a passenger in a car um, that hit a moose that resulted in a quadriplegic spinal cord injury that sort of is the impetus for the book and, and what I describe. And so I felt kind of compelled to start writing about it. But my first instinct was to write it as a novel. And I think that that gave me some of the emotional distance from this traumatic experience that allowed me to conceptualize and think about what it had been like. And so I think initially it was really coming to terms with and reckoning what had happened to me and, and what this experience was like personally. And then, and part of processing that experience. And then as I started writing the book and I got feedback that I should make it a memoir, I realized that I was also writing about the experience of disability. And I was writing it from the perspective of someone who had been able-bodied. And I realized that in documenting some of my experience in terms of how I was treated, I had some very good treatment at the hospital and the rehab center I was in, but I also had, I, I faced and I continue to face a lot of discrimination and objectification. And so I realized that there was actually a larger, and it's become more important to me, sort of a larger advocacy piece in writing this book to try to sort of provide an example and hopefully for people that are less aware, um, increase their awareness and understanding of some of the challenges that people with disabilities face in our society. And it really appears like that throughout the book. From my perspective, it sounds like even though the physical treatment was amazing in both the hospital and the rehab center, there was a sense of psychological damage as well, where you're seeing people still living their lives as able-bodied. Here you are stuck in both the hospital and the rehab center and can't move on past certain levels and past certain roadblocks. That's right. And, and I should say that after the accident, I was completely paralyzed from the neck down. So I had no use of my hands, my arms, or my legs. And, um, and my experience at that time, I think of my own sense of self and my own sense of my body was I still felt I was there. I still felt I was myself sort of inside this body. But, but you know, when you're paralyzed and um, you're in that situation, you're moved as an object. And it's kind of an alienating feeling. And, and so you're, it, it's, um, it's, it's, it really depends on the sensitivity of people around you to continue to underline your own humanity. And some people did that and, and other people didn't. And I think that was in a very traumatic situation, but, and right in an acute phase of my injury. But I do think it underlies how, how often people with disabilities 
are treated as something that's discontinuous from able-bodied experience. And um, I think even with the best intentions, it's so integrated in our social structure and in the way that we are socialized that that's that person over there and and just things like being infantilized because I couldn't do things like eat initially. I had to be fed. Um, and then as I got better and I got, I, I did have some recovery so that I walk with a limp, but I can walk again. And I had regained the use of one hand. Um, it was, it was really being, the, probably the hardest thing too was was going back into the world as a disabled person and that's where I really I'll give you an example I talk about this in the epilogue where I, I moved to the city I live in now Kingston Ontario which is a fairly small city and I was using the community center pool and it's difficult for me to dress myself and undress myself I'm used to it, but to an able-bodied person, it might look awkward, especially if I'm wet. And this woman was talking with her friends and without ever coming, without even speaking to me or asking my consent, started to um, pull off my bathing suit, started, and, and it was like I wasn't even there. And that's a really extreme example, um, but it, it's humiliating. It's humiliating. And there is absolutely no reason. People who have disabilities and a range of disabilities, mine happens to be mobility and physical, we're all in this together, right? And... Um, and everybody deserves to be treated with respect and treated, um, you know, in this case, as another adult. And um, so it's some of those things that I guess I've experienced that um, that I wanted to highlight and write about. It is very traumatizing and humiliating to have that experience and not have that other person have that understanding or the attitude shift to say oh leave that person alone they can do it on their own thanks very much exactly exactly and it, at the time I wish I had said that but I didn't I was just I just was frozen I could not believe it was happening and it's like by treating me as if I had no agency I in fact didn't have agency in the moment when I left I was I was upset I was humiliated and I was angry but in the moment I just complied and that was one of the hardest things too and this is this happened about 25 years after my accident as and 25 years of living as a disabled person but but it's still very, it can still be very difficult. It can still be a challenge to speak up when, when you're treated like you're not even there. And um, the other th part I was going to mention too is, is also realizing that often I was excluded from the physical built environment, right? That there's stairs, there aren't ramps, that you know, it's getting better with with the passage of, of various legislations, but um, but it's hard to move in a world that's built not for you. And there's things you can't go to. There's so you're always you're always aware of this sense of exclusion, or that's how I feel. That you're and and if there is sometimes accessible environments or you request them and, and things are much better than, than when I was first injured. But um, often it's, I have the sense that it's an afterthought 
right? Oh, oh, this person can't go upstairs. Oh, we need a power operated door. Now, some of these things are legislated, but it's, it's, it's being in a situation where people are never mindful of, of inclusion. And I think, and I think one of the things I really hope for as we move forward as a society is that what we, what I was sort of describing was accommodation, right? We accommodate, right? You can have, and again, this goes for a range of disabilities, um, or in my experience anyway, and um, we accommodate, but we don't include. And I think moving to a situation where as a society that we're inclusive of people with a range of disabilities and needs and that it's just there. And so I can pass as freely into a new environment as I could when I was able-bodied, for example. It's that freedom to have the same freedoms as everyone else. Exactly. No matter if you have a disability or you don't have a disability. And for not only the freedom to move with the built space, but also the people within the built space with the attitudes to say, hey, I don't need help. Thank you. But if you do need help, someone can come up without judgment and say, of course, here, would you like some help with doing X, Y, Z? Exactly, exactly. And I think the important question there, or the important point there is just to ask, right? I mean, I can only speak of my own experience, but if someone asks me, can I give you a hand? Sometimes I say, yeah, that would be great. Sometimes I say, no, it's all right. I've, I've got it. And, but, but it's, it's, you know, and I think again, um, there's a lack of awareness of, of, um, of it's strange, right. Of how to be with someone who's disabled, which seems like such a bizarre thing for me to even say, <laughs> but I do think that's true. I think, you know, some people feel they have to rush in and do everything for you. Other people keep their distance. And again, it's just, and you know, this does tie into the built environment too, because the more there's integration of people with disabilities in workplaces and built environments, then people become more familiar. And um, and I think that helps to dissipate a lot of the prejudice, or I would hope so, right? But I think the awareness and and the understanding and acceptance in attitudes is a lot harder and more ingrained than even you know adding a ramp or the build. But that that's important too. But but it's also um, the attitudes. I, I also volunteer for my uh, municipal accessibility committee. And um, fairly recently, there was a project where a school was making sure that they could include inclusive playground equipment. And I thought, how good is that? How good is that, that when you're four or five or six, all of a sudden, people of all abilities are with you? So that from the time you're five, that's just part of the social environment that you're in. And so I think that kind of that kind of interaction between um, the physical space and the social space can hopefully help to promote some changes. Hopefully to promote those changes so that younger and younger people are exposed to others who are not like them. In your memoir, you talk about one of your friends coming over to both the hospital and the rehab and just seeing you as you and but changing so that and adapting to whatever stage you're at with the rehab and the progression of the disability. So it's that attitude. Exactly, exactly. And in this case with this friend who was a very good friend and con continues to be a very good friend, um, 
she really understands the process and but she never lost sight that I was who I was right and I think that's part of it too that there there's a flexibility and understanding um how how people are and I guess another point I'd like to make about about this in terms of of memoir and disability is that um that and sort of this advocacy piece is that people treat disability or have treated disability like it's a dichotomy you're either able-bodied or you're disabled and again it could be in whatever realm of of ableness and um and i and I do, I, it's just not true, right? There's a continuum of able-bodiedness. And for most of us, um, able-bodiedness is also a temporary state, right? Eventually, people may, in my case, have an accident or through aging or whatever. It's It's a state that people live in and are comfortable with and still actualize their lives with. Um, because that's another thing, you know, that, um, that, you know, everything must be so hard for you that all these different things and, and life is about adaptation. And so, so I think it's really important again, for people to recognize that, um, that, that difference isn't, um, necessarily, um, to, something to be denigrated, right? Yeah. It's not always a bad thing. Exactly. Like using able-bodiedness as the only standard and any variation from that is some sort of, um, diminution of of life or quality of life and um and things are hard for everybody right <laughs> and that's part of life right and so anyway it's it really is as we're talking i'm thinking i guess the thing is is just the essence of of and you could use this in any situation people acting with compassion and humanity uh, towards everybody. In this yeah. case, it would be for me around my very obvious physical disability, but, um, but it's, um, it's this need we seem to have as a society to categorize and denigrate difference that I think is at the heart of a lot of this. It is. And I saw that, especially with the friends you make in the rehab center who had disabilities as well and spinal cord injuries, and they weren't making the same progress as you were. And they have that sense of loss as well. Yes, yes. Like they were lesser than you because you were of the type of disability that they acquired versus the type of disability you acquired and the type of treatments both of you got and that is with being on that the treadmill with the physical therapists yes yes yeah I was really fortunate at that time um I think this treatment is much more commonplace now but at that time they were doing a research project where I was suspended over a treadmill um by a harness like a harness you would use in mountain climbing but obviously that this wasn't mountain climbing but and you're suspended from a harness and some weight is taking taken off you and then the treadmill goes very slowly and the physiotherapist helped me facilitate my gait especially with my right leg it's my right side that has more motor problems and so, you know, I was, I had what's called an incomplete injury, which means there is possibility of recovery. And, um, and I think being able to participate in that certainly, 
you, you don't really know what cause, you know, the, the causal factors, but even from a psychological perspective, to just be in such a state of almost complete paralysis and be able to experience and have the hope again of walking probably was very, very helpful. But someone like the friend you're talking about, he had what's called a complete injury, which meant that there, there, you know, there was probably very little chance of recovery. And it has to do with how severe it is and whether messages can still get through. But I think that point you make about, about using sort of normal able-bodiedness um, as the yardstick is part of it. And, and the other point that I had to learn to recognize about myself in terms of that is even though, you know, I recovered enough to walk and, and use one arm, I mean, I'm still disabled. And I found in the initial years after the accident, I was very uncomfortable with that. And I would sometimes kind of, I would avoid, I had gone back to school and I would avoid situations where I had to walk in front of people, um, especially people that I didn't know. And I realized I, with time that, that I felt a lot of shame. And I think I had internalized that yardstick that I wasn't as, I, I no longer had as much worth as I had as an able-bodied person. And it took me quite a long time to sort of realize that, that the problem really wasn't how I was. The problem was external society and how I was being treated. And, um, but, having to recognize my own internalized ableism was, was very difficult, right? It's a hard thing to admit about yourself, yourself. And, you know, and that means that I had taken in those values. I didn't think I had, I worked with someone who used a wheelchair. I never even thought about it, but I had taken in those values and, and that's, that it's a really hard thing to admit and and but you know it's and unlearn and unlearn exactly exactly i agree that's exactly right with that don't go anywhere because there will be more on the self-advocate on cfro co-op radio 100.5 fm with your host alison klein hey did you know red eye has a podcast you can tune in to Red Eye every Saturday morning from 10 a.m. to noon, and now you can catch our interviews anytime. Look for the Red Eye podcast on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, or a host of other podcast apps. Or you can check out our latest episode right on our website, coopradio.org slash redeye. You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Alison Klein. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Alison Mira. This episode is all about memoirs on disability. And right now I am talking with Susan Moclear, who is a Canadian author. And she has a memoir that was released in 2023 about acquiring a disability. It's called Fractured. I'm still reading it. It's been fascinating. Before we get to how the listener can find more about your book and find you, Susan, the one passage that you wrote in your book, it's the last passage, and I'm not going to spoil the rest of the book. You say, frankly, we deserve better. I'm curious, how can society change for the future for people with disabilities? And what do you hope for the future for people with disabilities? I guess, um, I guess um, when I wrote that, I was... Um talking primarily or talking sort of about this issue of feeling excluded from the built environment and also feeling marginalized by society's attitudes. Um, 
and and I hope my hope for the future is that um and I, I may be repeating some of what I said and I apologize. I think I think the first sort of thrust in society towards people with disabilities was to accommodate. And I think that if we can shift our understanding and our goals towards not accommodation, but inclusion, um, and that would be of all people of all abilities at all stages of life. And um, I think in our environments that um, full participation of people with disabilities in work environments and school environments, especially at a young age, all these things will help to create less alienation between able-bodied people and disabled people and, and work towards um, helping people to understand that there's a continuity and that um, just because you may not move in a certain way as someone else doesn't make you less valuable. And I use that as an example because that's my my lived experience. Um, and I think this can come about in a lot of ways. I, I think encouraging people um, to write and publish about disability and and have people share their stories um, is one way that that um, sharing lived experience through memoir can ideally help shift people's understanding. And I think having a range of people, as I said, in different work environments, different um, positions of policy, um, having legislative changes, and and just having the will towards inclusion would hopefully help. And I do have to say, I've seen quite a few changes and shifts in that direction, um, particularly in the last 10 or 15 years. Um, does it go far enough? Not yet, right? <laughs> Not yet. With any luck, we'll go further yeah. it's through legislative change and sharing these experiences, writing memoirs, so we have more knowledge and more lived experience knowledge instead of outside looking in. That's it's right. coming from within the community. That's right. And I think that's a really important point of it, too, that the more that that including people um, with a range of disabilities in policy decisions, in legislative decisions, and and really hearing and having um, people with lived experience participate. I think that's a really important component of change because I have to say, as a previously able-bodied person, um, at least physically able-bodied, um, I would have had no idea how someone with a disability was treated. I, it was just outside of my awareness. It would never have occurred to me. I had a cab driver say to me once, if I were you, I, I wish I was dead. I were dead. Like, it's just the, you know, and it's, it's an, that's an extreme example, but it's illustrated of of what's embodied, right, in our social attitudes. And that's where I think the change and the will to change has to come yes. from. Yeah. Yeah. More participation and the will to change. How can the listener find you, Susan, and read your book, Fractured? Um, I would love it if the listener would do that. So my book, Fractured, was published by Second Story Press in 2023. And I think it's available in both audiobook, ebook, and um, hard copy form in a lot of libraries, in most libraries. And um, it's 
also available for purchase um, at, a, at your local bookstore. And I have a website, which is www.susanmockler, S-U-S-A-N-M-O-C-K-L-E-R.com. And that has various interviews I've done about my memoir and also um, about my experience of, of living disabled and has links to various aspects of the book, um, sections that were published beforehand. So I would be very happy if anyone were interested to please pursue those options. So to find your book through the library, which I did. Yes. Or to purchase it at the local bookstore or find you at your website, susanmockler.com. Thank you so much, Susan, for Thank talking you. with me today. Thank you for inviting me, Allison, and for such an interesting discussion. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate your what you're what you're doing with this podcast and this radio show. I think self-advocacy is really important and i'm really happy to participate and be part of your show thank you so much don't go anywhere because there will be more on the self-advocate on cfro co-op radio 100.5 fm with your host allison klein sitting at home flicking through your spotify wishing for something new hop on over to Bandcamp right now and search for vancouver co-op radio from there, you can see our three albums, Anthems from the Alley, Volumes 1 and 2, and From Pigeon Park to Wall Street, all available for streaming and purchase. Do you dig all three? Buy all of them for a discounted price of $15. Explore folk, alternative, progressive rock, art rock, experimental, blues, poetry, and world music. Go to Bandcamp right now and find us at Vancouver Co-op Radio. You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Alison Klein. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Alzamira. This episode is all about memoirs, about disability. My next guest today is Alison Blevins, who has a poetry memoir about her life with family and diagnosis also being queer thank you so much allison for being on my show today thank you for having me it's so nice to be here so your book cataloging pain which came out in 2022 talks a lot on disability diagnosis queerness and on family life what inspired you to write about all three things and write in poetry instead of a typical memoir but this is a hard question <laughs> um so i think um it it does come um off like typical poetry and um and that's okay uh, but i sort of think of it as a hybrid collection um there are those longer uh, pieces that feel a little more like uh, lyric essay. And I started writing those because I felt like um, more traditional poems weren't big enough to contain all of the things <laughs> that I was trying to talk about. And like you said, there's a lot happening in the book. So it it really is dealing with um, my husband's gender transition, it's, it's dealing with my diagnosis, it's dealing with, you know, our family and, and all kinds of things. And, um, his transition and my diagnosis were happening simultaneously in our lives. And so it felt like that needed to be represented in the book. And I felt like I couldn't do it in, in a more traditional poem, so I started thinking um, about prose poems and then they got longer and longer and longer and they kind of turned into these longer essays. And um, that was the that was the inspiration was this idea of just feeling like I needed a little bit more room to be able to really talk about all the things that we had going on in our lives. You wanted to 
write things down, but not in a traditional way because it didn't feel right to have it in a traditional way, traditional poetry or traditional memoir. Both. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a good point. Traditional memoir or um, poetry. And I think that I was coming at it from poetry because that's, that's, I did study, you know, other genres, but um, almost all of my work up until this book had um, been, had been poetry. And um, I think I finally just sort of allowed myself to to even think the thought that I might be an essayist or a nonfiction writer. Um, and I'm glad that I did because my next book that comes out next fall is, well, I mean, it was accepted as poetry, <laughs> but it is also, um, it's entirely um, creative nonfiction. Um, and it's one long essay or lyric essay or prose poem um, that really does tell um, a story in verse or in in lyric prose. <laughs> um, so I, I, I'm really grateful for this book because it, it was the launching pad of kind of thinking I can do other things. I don't have to be this one thing. And, um, and I think that's important for you know, writers and for disabled folks that, um, you know, we don't have to express ourselves in one way and we don't have to think of ourselves in really boxed in terms. Not think of ourselves as boxed in terms or a monolith because disability yeah. is not a monolith. And within the same type of disability, it's so different. There's so much variation. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's one of my authors. Um, I also run a small press. It's um, Small Harbor Publishing. Um, so her name's Sarah Cedeno, and she's also an author with MS. Um, but she's, you know, she's not writing poems. Um, she's writing very differently from me. And the ex she experiences MS, the illness and the disability that comes along with it very differently. And uh, you know, like we we talk about disability, but my goodness, within that category, it's it's massive. It, it's such a huge term of who are we going to even lump into that group of people. So yeah, I mean, we're we all have something just very different to say on the subject. Different opinions, even because we have all of us are very different humans as well. Absolutely, absolutely. I've been reading your book as well, and I've noticed that you don't explicitly talk about the disability or the transitioning, but you talk more about the feelings and the feelings about your own self and your husband talking about himself and that those feelings and the feelings for your children and the feelings for each other, like how would each other react and strive and thrive when the person is struggling, the other person is struggling. I think it's such a hard thing to address straight on. And there, I, there definitely are moments in the book where I'll just, you know, say something plainly Um say it um as succinctly as uh, and non-poetically as possible and i think those are real moments of gravity in the book that sort of tether you <laughs> because um those those feelings wind up you know you you get a bit lost in colors and sounds um i've definitely been a person who's been accused in my neurodivergence of having some synesthesia and I and I don't think that's um, a misplaced <laughs> accusation it comes out in the book in my books um, but I think I, I do try to ground people occasionally with um, just with little bits of, of head-on or directness um, of directly ad addressing situations but you know, I think the act of writing is, it's very much therapeutic. You know, it is about examining these feelings and these emotions and writing through them. And a lot of times I think once I put it in the book, 
um, now I can move on. <laughs> now I don't have to like think about or deal with whatever it was that was happening when I was writing whatever piece that is. And um, so it, it's just hard to decide when when you address something directly or when you address something, you know, more indirectly through metaphor or through emotion or through, you know, some sort of sensory detail. But I, I hope what happens is that it's the, that the books and the work really do become about feeling instead of, you know, the, the being in your head and um, the like, what we're told we're supposed to think or do, especially as disabled people and, and queer people, that it can just be about like experiencing um, this emotional experience. It is very much an emotional experience. It's not just the physical, it's also the emotional, the mental experience as well. It's the connection of both, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I think that's, it's very difficult and, one of the the ways that disabled writers really try to you know embody this disability poetics of how, how do we translate the body to the page how do we make what is physical and often painful physically painful um you know something that somebody else can read about and actually experience and understand. And I think, you know, my books, a lot of times they're written for disabled folks and sometimes they're written, you know, for able-bodied folks. And, um, and, 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 and I, and I hope everybody can find something in the book, but there's definitely a bit of that happening of this, like, how do I how do I translate experience for somebody who hasn't experienced what it is to to live in a body that's um, difficult to live in? It's hard, very difficult to explain to someone who hasn't had that experience those feelings on top of what's physically there, what is in front of that other person. Absolutely. What inspired you to call it cataloging? pain instead of something like life or cataloging life i was writing um this new diagnosis and the book that came out right before this one is called um handbook for the newly disabled and um it's it's called a lyric memoir and i think of it as you know, nonfiction, and it is definitely, it definitely looks like poems, though. And um, I, I was thinking about in, in both of these books, you know, how, how do I struggle with this diagnosis? How do I come to terms with it? And, and still years past, I'm not there. <laughs> you know, the the word chronic means it's it's never ending. So I don't know how you you come to an acceptance of something that's an ever-changing situation too. Um you never quite know what's um what's gonna be like day to day. So um when I was writing both of the books, like I I wasn't totally sure, you know what was going to happen to them. And it's, it happened, it so happened that cataloging pain got picked up first, um, but it didn't come out until after. And um, so um, I was thinking about pain and joy and in both books and which things um, belong where and, and how to even like t talk about those things. So the handbook for the newly disabled um seems more like a book that is a little bit about anger and um, is a little more, I, while I do want able-bodied people to read it, um, there are these pieces that have um, accessibility notes and it, it says you're going to get an image and there's no image. You only get this accessibility note. And I was dealing with issues with my vision and I was um, pretty angry about that. And it, I got a huge kick out of the idea that able-bodied people were going to 
read it and have to deal with, you know, um, just a little bit of an inconvenience, <laughs> like, a, like a disabled person might have to. And um, I found it kind of hard to find the joy there. In the other book, I started with the piece, um, a catalog of repetitive behaviors. That's how I got into this idea of cataloging in the first place was um, thinking about neurodivergence and my <laughs> disability um, and uh, my physical disability and and this idea of, of listening and cataloging and trying to come to terms with. And I think as I wrote, I started to be more comfortable with this place of joy. Um, and then the last piece in the book I call the, the joy piece, the <laughs> happy piece. And I think that it's hard to kind of notice that it's the joy piece, but for me, it really is. Um, so I think your point is asking like, why focus on the pain in the title? And for me, it was because that's where it started that I wanted to make a record of like an accounting of all of this pain, in a in a way to, you know, help other people in my life understand it, but also to almost to, yeah, I thought that if I like put it on paper that, that maybe it was like a reckoning that, you know, that people would go, oh, that's terrible. And and that like it might solve something somehow, you know, you just have these strange ideas when you're um, disabled and a writer of, of what it's going to do for you. But I think it did ultimately lead me to a little bit of joy in the end where I could say I see it now a little bit. It's almost therapy to talk about the negative and not just talk about the negative but also see the light see the joy with the struggle because it's the combination of both yeah i i we do this you know this strange thing where uh, you know and i maybe it's not strange um for for disabled folks, but we're told all the time, be happy or, you know, look on the bright side. And it feels very infantilizing and very frustrating. But, um, you know, the longer I keep, you know, keep on going with in this body, the more I can say, you know, I am I am trying to to find this this joy thing in the small moments and in the the things that would never have happened had I not be, become um sick if had I not become disabled um uh, my kids would be very different my life would be very different but there are these you know things that have come out of it from my children who have learned a lot about empathy and compassion from having a mom who, you know, uses a cane to get around and walk slowly and is ill. Um, and there is some beauty in seeing your children become, you know, but maybe better versions of the people um, than, than they would have been just because they've had to overcome uh, more than, than other kids. It's, not just overcoming, but it's also that understanding and knowing and seeing the difference and different types of humans that we all are. So it's a more robust understanding. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's hard to see them struggle because you don't want any child to struggle, but it's also the more of the understanding of who's out there. Yeah, absolutely. It was definitely, you know, something we tried to hide from our kids at first, and we didn't address. We didn't, you know, we didn't address it right at first. We made a lot of mistakes um, as people thrust into situations they weren't prepared for, um, often do, and um, and I think we are coming into a better place with how we talk to our kids about 
illness and compassion and difference. Um, and the, these are all conversations we absolutely would have never had had I not gotten sick. It's a deeper conversation than most children would have. Right. Absolutely. With that, don't go anywhere because there will be more on the Self Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Alison Klein. Howdy, folks. Tune in every Sunday afternoon from 4 to 5.30 for What the Folk, singer-songwriters, deep folk, roots music. It's all folk music. Sundays from 4 to 5.30 p.m. right here on Vancouver Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM and www.coopradio.org. You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Alison Klein. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Alison Mira. This episode is all about memoirs on disability. Right now, I am talking with Alison Blevins, who is a poet, an author, an essayist. Turning the tables a little, Alison, what do you hope for the future for the disability community to explain what it's like to have a disability for those who are non-disabled? I think, you know, it's not um, it's not a community that I was part of until recently. And so I at first I felt, um, you, you know, like I shouldn't be speaking for disabled people. I felt like I was, um, you know, an, an interloper into this community. And um, I, it was about like thinking that your body's going to never betray you. And then, <laughs> and then here, here you are. And I came to the realization that everybody ends up here eventually. You know, every everybody's going to need a mobility aid. Everybody's going to need a uh, a handle in the shower. You know, everybody's body as we age, um, and 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 rather and rather instead of thinking of it as our bodies are betraying us is that this is just what having a body is like that they're all different and they all have different needs and i think that i um am trying to teach that to my kids and i hope that more people um have that mindset moving forward that i don't think there's as much difference between disabled folks and able-bodied folks as we think there is and it's pro- I mean it's definitely able-bodied people who go around thinking they're like so different <laughs> um <laughs> until until they're not and um so uh, that's what I want younger people to realize is that um it's we just have to all of us have different bodies and we're gonna um ebb and flow and arrive at different places differently and that rather than thinking about like accommodations or um you know doing things that disabled people need in in any forum um that it's really about doing things that everybody needs and that everybody needs to take advantage of um at certain points in their lives and that it's it's about respecting everybody as having a body that has needs. It's understanding that the disability perspective is not unique so much as that it's part of the human perspective. Yeah. And once we understand and accept the disability perspective, we can bring that into our own lives for those who are non-disabled, adapt and find accommodations for when our body changes and adapts. Yes. For that. 
Mm-hmm. How can the listener find you, Allison, and buy your books? <laughs> Good question. Um, well, very easily, uh, AllisonBlevins.com. Um, you can buy all of my books there, um, and you can see um, upcoming speaking engagements and um, read work that's online. And I would love for folks to check out Small Harbor Publishing. That's the press that I run. And we have um, a mission to lift up marginalized voices. So we publish a lot of um, people of color. We publish trans folks. We publish um, disabled folks, people living with chronic illness, neurodivergent folks. Um, We just want those amazing voices that are unique and often overlooked by traditional publishers to get into people's hands. So I always um, hope people will come over and check out my authors too. To check out your website, alisonblevins.com and check out Small Harbor Publishing as well. (laughs) And check out other authors from Small Harbor Publishing. Thank you so much, Allison, for talking with me today. Thank you for having me. This has been The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Alison Klein. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Alison Mira. If you missed any part of this show or want to listen to it again, you can find it on Spotify for Podcasters or wherever you find your podcasts. To end up the show, let's put on our outro theme song, Bitter Miracle by Kiprios. Kiprios is a Vancouver-based rapper. Even though he doesn't have a disability, the song, Better Miracle, talks about having a better tomorrow, but not a miracle. Enjoy more programming, everyone. My window, the sun came through today. Was a day I thought I'd look to my window, felt the pain that I knew. The sun heard about it when he came to, came through. Good looking out, I needed you today. Was a day that didn't need rain. My window looked to me to make a change. The sun rising to the occasion, came through. Good looking out, I needed you. Oh, oh. myself i'm gonna be okay remember back then i've come a long way the dream may never ever be the same but came true get here with you and that'll do i know the road i'm on is not an easy way remember that i will define the path i take the dream yeah i'm a dreamer what can i say came true get here with you and that'll do i feel it's in my fingers i know it's in my soul now don't need i don't need a miracle just want to get a bit better I feel it's in my fingers, I know it's in my soul now, don't need, I don't need a miracle, just want to get a little better, oh, oh. I'm not asking for a miracle, oh, oh. just want to get a little bit better, oh, 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 oh. I'm not asking for a miracle, oh, oh. just want to get a little bit better. Forget, never but mind the hope. The hope ain't enough, but it's alive and love. Your love is the one to get me by my life. It's never too late to get it right. Memories of my mind throughout the night. The hope helps me cope with my life and love. Your love is the one to get me by. Today.
Today is here for me to redefine Yesterday Stay in the past, I let it die In time I'll be doing fine, getting by Cause now's the only moment mattering in life Today for the day, only the day. Yesterday, never the same, never the pain. In time, love and learn to burn it to the night. Cause now is the only moment mattering in life. I feel it's in my fingers. I know it's in my soul now. Don't need, I don't even need a code. Just one.